0: well there is a great need with humans to have remembrance times remembrance services because we forget we can grow complacent in our lives we can start to blend in with the surroundings we start to adapt to the way things are and regularly at least if your the testimony of your life is like mine regularly, God has to shake us up. He has to stir us up. He has to remind us that, hey, wait a second, Um, this life is about me. And so um, he gets our attention. Often we we grow spiritually complacent. We can allow ourselves to, to go into a spiritual stupor where we blend in with the culture around us and we start to uh, adapt to the culture that we're in. And, and, and God has to sort of knock on the door or knock on our head or do something and, and stir up in us a, a reminder of the, the reason and the purpose for which he's called us. And, and, and God is regularly wanting to birth a mission or rebirth a mission or... And so uh, something dramatic often comes into our lives to do that. Well, as we continue on in our series, our study, in the book of Judges, it was a time like that in Israel. They had become complacent. They had started to adapt to the culture around them. And, And God was about to stir up a mission. In Judges chapter 13... We read the the first line, this horrifying line that we keep seeing over and over and over again. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Would you stand with me if you're able and we'll finish reading this text together. A certain man of Zora, named Manoah from the clan of Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head because the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth, and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman went to her husband and told him, A man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God, very awesome. I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, You will conceive and give birth to a son. Now then, Drink no wine or other fermented drink, and do not eat anything unclean, because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from birth until the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, O Lord, I beg you, let the man of God you sent to us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. God heard Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman while she was out in the field, but her husband Manoah was not with her. The woman hurried to tell her husband, He's here, the man who appeared to me the other day. Manoah got up and followed his wife. She was working in the fields. He was relaxing on a chaise lounge somewhere. <laughs> when, the man, when he came to the man, he said, Are you the one who talked to my wife? I am, he said. So Manoah asked him, When your words are fulfilled... What is to be the rule for the boy's life and work? The angel of the Lord answered, Your wife must do all that I have told her. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, nor drink any wine or other fermented drink, nor eat anything unclean. She must do everything I have commanded her. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, We would like you to stay until we prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord replied, Even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food, but if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not realize that it was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, What is your name, so that we may honor you when your word comes true? He replied, Why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. Then Manoah took a young goat together with the grain offering and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And the Lord did an amazing thing. While Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord. We are doomed to die, he said to his wife. We have seen God. But his wife answered, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all these things, or now told us this. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. I'm going to say it different later, but for the sake of no stir in here, I'll say it Samson right now. He grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahanath, Dan, between Zora and Ashtaal. This is the Word of God, please. Feel free to sit down. I don't know what I would do if many of you still stayed standing, but we'd have a different kind of service. <laughs> You know, I I don't know if some things caught your attention. I want to give you some highlights and then I really want to save some time for application. But um, 40 years, the dominant culture over Israel is the Philistine culture. That's what it says here in the text. And it is a natural human tendency to adapt to the life that you seem to be uh, given. Um, One writer put it this way, they were smothered by spiritual and cultural seduction. And uh, if you'll notice, the silence was deafening. In this text, unlike the other texts, they don't cry out to the Lord. They don't ask him to deliver them. They, they seem to be quite settled and okay with, with how it is, being in the culture of the Philistines. And, and I thought, how heinous. As I was reading this text, I was... You Israelites, you are, you are such a disgusting group of people that you wouldn't call out to the Lord, you know, that you would settle in this culture and, and not be longing for a mission of God and not be onward Christian soldiers every day of your life. What is wrong with you people? And then I started thinking about my life, about our life, and about the roughly 50 years that we have adapted and settled into a secular culture here in Canada. Is it not so? I I mean, it's hard to put a date on it, but it seems to me something happened in the 60s. And I was alive then. (laughs) And, uh, you know, post-war, as we think about the Remembrance uh, Service here, after World War II, you know, there was a, a great awakening in a sense of uh, of the horrors of life and wickedness and evil and the immense loss of loss of life, and there were some great stirrings of God post-war. Most of you will remember some of the great evangelistic movements, the Billy Graham movement, those kinds of great movements of evangelism, Youth for Christ, and other things rose up because everybody came. From the war and realized if we we've got to get this message out here. Life is short. Life can be taken away. Yeah, there's such a great heart of wickedness in the world, and so people were stirred up, and they were stirred up for a number of years, and got things rolling, and in the early 50s, things were really moving forward in the work of God, and then the 60s hit, and and, and the this this culture of Canada started to erode into uh, a. a um, a vigorous and radical secularism which has progressed decade upon decade upon decade until we are where we are. And it's at least 50 years. And and who are we but but people who've adapted to the culture we're living in? We're we're not crying out to God. Oh, God, deliver us. Oh, God, that, that you might stir in our hearts and create a great and grand mission of God. For the most part, that's not the way it is. And one of the, the scary things that I found in the text, and, and I'll, I'll not uh, take much time with it, other than to introduce it, we're going to talk more about it next week, but, but the first generation will adapt to a culture, the second generation will adopt that culture, and um, I'm just going to take a quick look over with you over at, at Judges chapter 15, verse 11. I want you to see this. In 15:11 in it says, "Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Edom and said to Samson, "Don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us?" He answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. In other words, Israel is chastising Samson for being stirred up by God to begin judging and delivering the people. And they're saying, what what are you thinking, Samson? You're you're stirring the pot. Um, Why are you stirring it up? And and, and, and they've adapted, they've adapted to the culture. And they're they're fine with the culture. And, and, um, And they're chastising Samson. And Samson, all he's doing is saying, I'm just getting revenge, that's who I am. You know, they adapted to the culture and now Samson has adopted the attitude of the culture. And God wants us to confront the culture. And so this morning I want to look at the uh, issue of when God births submission. Do we even notice, do we even know, do we know the marks? What are the distinctive signs that God is up to something? Um, are, are our hearts spiritually sensitive enough here at Calvary Baptist Church to know when God is up to something and birthing a mission? What does it look like? There are certain observable objectives and characteristics. and um, God wants us to get loose of our enslavement to the seduction of the secular. He really does. And um, that's what this text is really about, uh, Judges 13, as we introduce the life of Samson, and more of it will be dealt with uh, next week. But, but I want to give you five quick um, insights into how you can know uh, when God is birthing a mission, what it looks like, lest we forget, lest we become spiritually insensitive. It will be first to graciously deliver people from their sins and suffering. You can mark this down, a God mission is graciously delivering people from their sins and their suffering. That's what they were steeped in. That's what they had adapted to. That's what they were living like. And um, it is important for us um, to ponder the reality that when you choose to sin, you are choosing to suffer. And when you choose idols, you are choosing slavery every single time. And these people were enslaved to their suffering because of their sin, and enslaved to, to the uh, to, they were enslaved because of their idols. And they were now in a spiritual stupor and couldn't recognize, I'm going to see this as we move through, couldn't even recognize that God was on mission because they didn't have the spiritual sensitivity to recognize their own distress. And I can tell you that for the most part, that's true of the world around us. That's why salvation is not our own doing that's why it says in the word of god for god so loved the world god looks down at the world in its spiritual stupor with love and acts out of love graciously not because we turn to him but because he loves us he reaches into our lives he recognizes that we are suffering for our sins and we are enslaved by our idols and he reaches in because people can't save themselves God regularly and unilaterally has to step in and stir up your life and my life to bring something perhaps difficult into our lives or radical into our lives or stunning into our lives. Holy smelling salts, if you will. So that we'll wake up to the real state of affairs in our life and say, I've been in cruise control with God. I've been in a spiritual stupor before God. I haven't noticed that, that I've been seduced by the sins of the culture and the idols of the culture around me. I haven't noticed. God graciously stirs up our lives or causes something to radically shake us into an awakening. And we realize God is birthing a mission. The second thing I notice here is that God, when he's birthing a mission, it's always to establish and reestablish his standards. One of the phrases that works its way through the text of this, um, of judges, is that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, I hope we realize that gradually... Each of us are susceptible to to allowing, to to gathering, to to collecting sinfulness and idols in our lives, to being seduced by that. And we are very good, we become very good at justifying our own standards, what's good in our own eyes. And we have plenty of cheerleaders around us. As we are seduced by the culture, as we adapt to the culture, and we share ideas with each other on how to justify our adaptation to the culture around us, we become very good at it. And we cheer each other on, yes, yes, of course, we understand fully why you had to give in here or had to give in there or had to compromise here or had to compromise there. Of course, I've had to do the very same, and we get really good at helping each other with this, but in the matter of right and wrong, I hope we understand something. It doesn't matter what's right in our eyes. It only matters what's right in the eyes of the Lord. When God is birthing a mission, it's always to establish or reestablish or to pull us back from the places we've slipped to where everything's being justified by the standard of our own eyes instead of God. Sin is not transient. It's not relative. It doesn't change with time. It never evolves to good. Sin never becomes good, ever. It is not defined by conscience Or community standards. It's not subjective. It doesn't vary by culture to culture. Sin is objective. Sin is defined by God. It's always established by God's standards. It never changes. And idols are not always bad things. But good things turned into ultimate hopes and goals. And so it can sneak up on us. The lines can be razor thin between a healthy way you treat your job and an unhealthy way. A healthy way that you relate to your family and an unhealthy way. It can be razor thin. The the dividing line between health and idolatry is razor thin. And God will shake up your life to bring to you mission to reestablish his standards of what is sin and what is idolatry. But thirdly, if you're um, looking for the observable characteristics of a God mission, it will be to work through the unlikely. God is always, always looking. To, look through the un, to work through the unlikely. Did you notice in the text that twice the angel of the Lord says to Manoah's wife, You are sterile and childless, and I'm going to give you a son. Now, when God births submission, it's usually, in fact, I'm going to scratch that word and say, regularly, resourcefully, impossible. Okay, don't look for something that you can manage in your own strength as a God mission. It's not likely going to be a God mission. A God mission is regularly to work through the unlikely. It is always requiring resources, strength, physicality, material reality that is beyond the scope of your strength. Now, sterile and childless go together and he says it two times but I think it's important that it's not just that she doesn't have a child he says you can't even have a child it's not just that you're childless and one of these days you're gonna have a child by natural means no he looks at her and says twice not only are you childless but you physically can't even have children now that's a God mission and then he turns and says to her, and you're going to have a son. All right? Y- you don't have a child. You can't have a child. Well, you can't anyway, Ken. But, you know, I, 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 you know work with me here, buddy. No. But, you, but you're going to have a son. I mean, that's something, isn't it? It would be really something if the Lord said that to Ken. Yeah. <laughs> but here's what's fascinating here. This childless thing is apparently, a uh, fertility is apparently a Baal specialty. Okay? You you understand? They were being seduced in this culture for the last 40 years by the gods of the Philistines. So much for Baal's ability to cause fertility. God once again declares, excuse me, I'm the one, the only one in all the universe that brings life. And I'm going to bring life into a womb that's sterile. Now, that's pretty amazing. But that was merely child's play to the setup that God was going to do later on in history. I'm going to bring a child to a woman's womb without a father at all without a husband at all in the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so when God is working on a mission, it's going to be unlikely through your resources. Physical impossibilities require the demonstration of God's power for the display of God's glory. Let me ask you a question. Are you presently trapped in a world of only attempting what you already have the resources to do? And don't answer that question too quickly because the, most of us, really, if we're honest, we only want to tackle the things that we already have the resources to do. When, when we're asked to do something, we look around and we say, do I have enough here? Do I have enough there? Do I have enough up here? Do I have enough background? Do I have enough experience? Do I have enough of all of this? Maybe if I have all of that... I'll say yes. A God mission is always asking us to do something that we can't do in our own strength, that we don't have. We can't look in the bank and say it's there. We can't look into our heart and say it's there. We can't look into our head and say it's there. We can't look into our past and say it's there. We can't look into our experiences and say it's there, because we are called to be people of faith. Listen, we're not people of faith because we're religious. It it drives me crazy to hear people identifying themselves as people of faith. I'm a person of faith. What, because you're religious? Because you have a religion? A a person of faith lives by faith. A person of faith lives trusting in God. A, A person of faith doesn't live by sight. They live by faith. That's what God is calling us to that's what mission is all about. God loves to turn disgrace into his glory. It's all about him. Fourthly, I notice, He talks to, the angel of the Lord talks to uh, uh, Mrs. Manoah, and um, he says to her that your child is going to, to uh, be a Nazirite, you're not to drink any fermented drink, and you're not to eat anything unclean. By the way, there should have been no need for the angel of the Lord to tell an Israelite, don't eat anything unclean. That tells you how far they'd become steeped in the culture around them. They were expected. That was just, that was bare minimum faith to, to, to uh, honor the dietary laws. But he has to tell her this. Because you, you, you'll conceive and give birth to a son. No razor will be ever used, and it needs to be used in his head because he's gonna be an Azurite. Set apart. That's, that's what caught my attention. I underlined it in my Bible. Set apart to God from birth. Listen, um, you know, there's a, I don't have time to talk to you about the Old Testament differences about, about the indwelling or work of the Holy Spirit and all of that. Most of you know about that theology anyway, but let's understand something. This whole notion, this whole idea of being set apart, sanctified, holy before God, all right, each one of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior have been set apart by God. We are all called to mission. We we were all purpose. The reason you were brought into the kingdom of God is on purpose. You were set apart, you're sanctified, you're a holy people. We're a holy people. It's both a position and a practice, but it is is a position first. We are called, we are set apart, for for by grace we were saved. Through faith, not of ourselves, lest any man should boast. It's all of the Lord. You were created in Christ Jesus. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, prepared in advance for you to do. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. That's what we're called to. We're set apart to God. And so God's mission in your life and in our church life is to claim a set apart people for his name and to sometimes come and reclaim us Say, don't you understand? I set you apart on purpose, not to coast, not to cruise, not to be seduced and adapt to the culture around you, not to adopt the cultural mores around you, but rather to stand out, to be set apart for God, for God's purposes. You may have set your spiritual sights low, but God hasn't for you. When God called you into this journey. He called you in, to put you into a kingdom of priests. He doesn't set you. He hasn't got low sights for you. He hasn't got low plans for you. He's got grand ambitions for you. I I jotted this down. You are the sacred servant of a spectacular God set apart for the Holy Spirit-filled adventure story of the ages. Joel Osteen would love that one. The difference is he would say it differently. You are the sacred servant of a spectacular God set apart for the Holy Spirit-filled adventure story of the ages. Each one of you. That's what a God mission is, set purposely. It's not about super Christians. You're not called to be unnoticed and unspectacular. Oh, I'm just a background person. I'm just, I just have a, a background part and I'm an extra in God's movie. No, you're not. No, you're set apart. You're set apart for his name. There's no artificial separation between the secular and the sacred. Everything's about the glory of God. Whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, you do it all to the glory of God. And finally, the fifth characteristic I notice in this text, and this is, uh, we'll work into a quick application here, but it's to present the greater experience of God's greatness. You know, um, for many of us, when we're given a word from God, when we're given a, when, when we sense maybe there's just a glimpse in our heart, a little flame that says, maybe God's up to something. Too often, our response is, we, we want more information. Give me more information. Or, or we settle into the paralysis of analysis well, I don't know if I have this, I don't know if we have that, I don't know if God is really in this, I'm not really sure. Let's chart history, let's think. What, you know, we, we go into all of this stuff in the face of un, incontrovertible evidence of God's hand. You know, in, in this text, I, I'm sure you caught it, but um, it says there, God did an amazing thing, All right? God did an amazing thing. Manoah's standing there with his wife. God does an amazing thing. He basically evaporates into a flame and disappears. It's like, wow. And what's Manoah's response? God's going to kill us. You know, it's an amazing thing. God's setting up an amazing mission. He's told his wife, you who were sterile, or that womb that was sterile. You can't have a child. You're going to have a child. He does an amazing thing before their very eyes, and Manoah's response is, God's going to kill us. Thankfully, he had an intelligent wife. (laughs) Because Manoah spent way too much time playing backgammon on his chaise lounge while his wife was out, stimulating her mind. And she says to him, I suppose respectfully, she probably had to take a few breaths. She probably had to just think, I am so sick of this guy. (laughs) He is so annoying. She came back, and she composed herself, and said, um, Like, I can just imagine the sarcasm that would be oozing out of me. But she says, "Um, Husband, why would God tell us all these things and show us all these things and have all these grand plans only to kill us? You know, it's like, quite honestly. You know, as I'm looking at the text, I'm realizing how often I've been Manoah. You know, God puts something right in your face. The God of glory wants to demonstrate his glory through you in a most amazing assignment that he has lined up for you and all Manoah can say is, can the guy please come back again? Can he tell me the story again? Can I, can I you know, can we, can we have a banquet? Can we have a meal so I can bribe him into doing it so that, that I can feel like I've had some part in this? And, and, and oh, we've just seen an amazing thing. Oh, God is going to kill us. It's like, Manoah, go sit down. Go sit down. It's Sad, but quite honestly, many of us are suffering from not only spiritual apathy, but spiritual perception brownouts. We can't even notice God. Would you note this? Because he was having so much problem trusting God, and we do too, The world around us thinks God can't be trusted. The world around us thinks God is a tyrant. The world around us thinks God only wants your money. I hope you don't think that too. I hope you don't live like that too. I hope you aren't sending that message to people. God wants you. He wants all of you. He wants all of your commitment. The mother goes ahead and names the kid. Get this. Shemshun. Okay, it's not Samson. It's Shun. Would you like to be called shimshun? Problem with that is it's taken from Shemesh, which is sun or sunrise or little sun. She had an opportunity to call him Grandeur of God, On Mission with God, The Greatness of God, some name like that. And she calls him Little Son. Little Son. God's grand resource for delivering his people called Little Son which is really um, showing us that um, there's about to be squandered resources. You'll see this to come. When God comes after us for a mission, I hope we aren't squandering our resources. There's never been a time like this where the resources in the hands of God's people was as massive as it is today. Today. We've never lived in a time like this. I hope that that we are going to take the opportunity that has come our way. God God is stirring the mission here at Calvary, stirring us inside and out. God is setting many opportunities before us. God has set an opportunity before us to expand the ministry, to expand the physical resources because God has a grand mission in front of us. I think this is a time in Calvary's history, again, where God is birthing a a next mission. I hope that we aren't in this kind of spiritual stupor that says it's about me and my comfort and my things, my convenience my money. To be honored by the Father, we must find out what Christ is up to and follow him with all of our hearts. God is stirring us. God is resourcing his mission horizon. God is calling me and you to prepare for a greater experience of his glorious greatness. The truth is, it is just learning and listening until we put all of this into action. We can talk about sin and we can talk about idols week in and week out. It's just learning and listening. It's just asking questions and the paralysis of analysis unless we put it into action in our lives. As you all know, or as I'm sure most of you know, In a little less than a month, we're going to be closing on a property across the street. An advance, an increase of the mission. Advancing, expanding the resources. God is giving to us a horizon that he's setting before us. It's just listening and learning and the paralysis of analysis unless we actually put action to what we say. Space was becoming and is becoming a limiting factor here. God is taking that away from us. We have no more excuse. There's no more limited space. We can expand into, the, into, into reaching to the thousands that live in our neighborhood that don't know Jesus Christ, have never heard of him. God is pushing us for that. 16 years ago, I shared with the congregation on Sunday night, 16 years ago, God was putting in place resourcing help for us by a will, by an inheritance that will be realized in the very month that we need to close on a property across the street. God is giving us a a tremendous resource. God is already giving us himself 16 years ago a down payment. For the property across the street. We have an opportunity here as a congregation to make a grand statement about being on mission with God. About saying, We recognize, Lord, that you're stirring the mission. Now count us in. Count us in to be part of this, we're not just listening and learning and paralysis of analysis, but now we're going to act. We have a tremendous opportunity as a congregation together to work together and to, to, to gather our resources. So that on that closing day, December 1st, we can put together our resources and, and, and pay down the cost of that building so that ministry can continue to move forward. How are we going to do that? Well, we have an idea for you. Roll that video for me. 3rd, we're calling all of us to live by faith, do something that perhaps you've never done before or anything close to, but together, to raise and trust God who's birthing a mission that is beyond our physical capacities, to trust God with the biggest offering ever. Children, men, women, everyone, to come together on November the 23rd, and to say to God, God, thanks for all you've done for us. We're in, we believe in the mission, and here it is. And uh, I just believe that God is uh, wanting to show us and demonstrate to us something beyond our wildest imagination. He has already given us $400,000 roughly because of this inheritance that we didn't really know about or plan on. And now it's up to us to trust God And so I I am calling on on all of us to pray and to ask God, to pray with all of our hearts, God, would you give me the grace, the faith to trust you for the impossible, something that we could could never imagine. And I, I can tell you that there will be testimonies, testimonies in our life of how God has made it possible for us to do the impossible. And so I trust that you as moms and dads will talk to your children about these things and they'll, be, they'll, they'll, give their, they'll give their allowance. I know they will. Because they trust God like that. And just think about your paycheck just being a little bit bigger allowance. That's all. That God has entrusted to you. It's all God's. And, and to turn around and to give it to Him. And um, we, we just are, are, are believing that that God is going to do something really amazing here and we, we, we trust and we pray that each of you will be engaged in this and involved in this. If you haven't seen the fuller presentation of this, it's online, you can, you can see it online, you can ask uh, at the office, we can, you can come in here, we'll show it to you, whatever you need. But um, uh, God is expanding the ministry here and we're trusting That you see God birthing a mission and you want to be part of it. Father, I pray today and thank you. I pray that we might not continue to see you doing amazing things and then say, oh, God, is this going to kill us? God is just going to destroy this ministry. Lord, what a foolish thing to think. You are birthing a mission, you are expanding resources and possibilities because you have a grand horizon in mind. You want us, you're calling on us, you're setting us apart to be deliverers, your agents in this neighborhood, in this city, in this region, to reach lost people for Christ. So Father, we thank you for that and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.